Welcome to the podcast. Uh, another shooting uh, in Atlanta this time. Uh, the uh, and They burned a Wendy's down, which is always a good uh, reaction to almost anything. Um, we have the details on that, what you should know. Also, uh, Pat Gray joins us, uh, first of all, to tell us about, you know, SpongeBob being gay, but also uh, to give us chocolate peanut butter cookies, which are amazing from scrumptiouscookie.com. Um, then, uh, uh, well, as well as we get into uh, Chaz, yes, it's Chaz or Chop, uh, the uh, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, which they're trying to change the name of now. What is the deal there? There's a man who lives there. Uh, he's fearing for his life. Uh, it is a very, very uh, tenuous circumstance. We get into that with uh, Elijah Schaefer later on in the program. He was there. He's got all sorts of videos. The ones you're seeing going viral came from Elijah Schaefer, most likely. We'll get into that. Uh, he's on Blaze TV, by the way. You can go to blazetv.com slash Glenn and use the promo code Glenn for 10 bucks off. You'll get Glenn's show, Stu Does America, all of Elijah's stuff as well. And Dinesh D'Souza joins us to give us a lowdown on his new book, United States of Socialism. It's all on today's podcast. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and click over to Stu Does America. Subscribe there as well. Rate and review the podcast. Five stars, the appropriate amount of stars. Here's the podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Let's start with let's start with Atlanta. First of all, if you listen to Stacey Abrams, here's what she had to say. Activists are necessarily calling into question what's actually being done. And what I would say is that there is there's a legitimacy to this anger. There's a legitimacy to this outrage. A man was murdered because he was asleep in a drive through. And we know that this is not an isolated occurrence. We also know that a man taking a taser from a police officer in Pennsylvania resulted in his arrest, but because this person was black, it resulted in his death. Those are conversations that have to be had, not only through speeches, but through the decisions made by budget allocations. And I think that's the next conversation we have to have. In so St- Stacy says that uh, this gentleman who I, I've watched the video of, and I feel, I mean, strangely, uh, Uh, bad for everybody involved in this one but she says that Richard Brooks uh, died because he was asleep at a Wendy's no that's not why he died Um, he didn't die because he was asleep at a Wendy's he was asleep and drunk uh, intoxicated uh, at a Wendy's but that's not why he died either Uh, he was drunk He was asleep at a Wendy's. It took the police officer about, I don't know, 30 seconds to rouse him. uh, And then he was a little incoherent. Then he was a delightful person. He pulled his car over and he was a really nice guy. He seemed great. um, Didn't seem like a problem. Talked about his mother. He said he was visiting his mom's grave earlier. It was, uh, you know, her anniversary of her death, I think. It was his daughter's birthday a couple of days before. And the police were really good to him, nice, very polite. Everything was going fine. He agreed to take a breathalyzer because he uh, he smelled of alcohol and was uh, was legally drunk. He passed the uh, sobriety test when he walked the line. At least it looked like it to me. 
Then the uh, police officer who was called in to investigate for sobriety came in and said, look, you don't have to take this breathalyzer, but I'm asking you if you will. He said, fine, I'll take it. So he took it. He failed. He's then put under arrest. And when they when they put the handcuffs on him or try to, he begins to resist arrest. This is why he's dead today. I don't know if if this is something that maybe I was just taught and others just kind of miss this lesson, but don't resist arrest. If they are arresting you, you're going to have to go to jail and you will sort it out. You'll make your phone call and you'll sort it out. If you are resisting arrest, chances are something bad is going to happen. Am I the only one that was taught this? Something bad is going to happen. So, what happens? Well, he resists arrest, and they keep saying him to him, stop fighting, stop resisting, stop, stop. Now, they're on top of him, two of them. I don't know how this guy uh, bested the two of them, but he did. And as he's rolling over and on top of him, he grabs the stun gun, uh, and... He takes it away from the officer. The officer immediately says, he has my taser. He starts to run. The other cop is running after him. Uh, Rashad turns around and shoots the taser at the cop. All right, well, now you're in a whole different ballgame. Now you're not only resisting arrest, but you are now uh, trying to take down another cop. Yes, it is with a taser. That cop goes down and he says, he's got my taser. That's when the other cop draws his gun and shoots, which I would imagine is standard procedure for somebody who has a weapon, a police officer's weapon, because you don't know what's going to happen. When one officer is down, the fear is, If an officer is down, somehow or another, he'll go down and grab the gun of the police officer, and then the other officer is done. There was no reason for this to happen. Absolutely no reason for this to happen. This guy was drunk. You roll the dice when you're drunk driving. I don't, I mean, you roll the dice with your life and everybody else's life as well. But you also roll the dice that you're going to be stopped and you're going to be arrested. Don't drive drunk. How is it that everybody is upset about this? But where are, where's where's the mothers against drunk driving? Here's a guy who is driving drunk. Violation number one. Violation number two. He resisted arrest. Violation number three. He grabbed the officer's stun gun. Violation number four, he fired it at an officer. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? He shot him in the back. Yeah, he did, which I don't like. But if you watch the video, it all went down from the time he has the stun gun to the time he's down is what? Three seconds? From the time the officer goes down to the time that Rashad is is shot, 
is about a second. Now, I can sit here in my studio and I'm in the comfort of air conditioning and it's beautiful and I'm not panicked. And I watch the video and I think, well, I don't know if I would have done. Well, I don't know if I would have done that. I don't think I would have. I don't know. And I don't think I would have. I wasn't the one with adrenaline pumping. I wasn't the one that was in the situation. I wasn't in. I wasn't the one who had my life at stake and my fellow officer's life at stake. I don't know. See, this is the problem. We have so convinced ourselves that we are just horrible human beings, that we're just a horrible nation and we have horrible cops and it's not it's not unusual this is this is normal this is normal you've been told you have been bad for the last what 12 years you've been told at least for 12 years over and over and over again your country sucks you're racist you're a sexist you're a misogynist uh, you're a homophobe you're a killer And the whole time, you've been saying, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. We don't, we don't profess who we are enough. I don't want to get all California hippie on you, but my, my father was, um, a practitioner, uh, of, uh, my father was a practitioner of something called, uh, the uh, church of religious science and it wasn't it's not christian science it's actual science science and and uh they look at god and my father said to me once i said can we talk about god for a second dad i want to understand what you believe and he said sure but the first thing we have to do is not use the word god and i said what what kind of dope smoking hippie kind of what are you talking about and he said the the word itself, he said, I believe in God, but the word itself has too many connotations. It has too many of your own personal beliefs wrapped around that word. He said, so if we really want to understand it, we have to start on neutral territory. And so he said, what's first cause? Well, I don't, what are you talking about? He said, what is Big Bang may have happened, may not have happened, but if it did, what lit the fuse? What? Who put the fuse there? Who made the matches? Who? who, That's God. That's when you're talking first cause. That's the unknown. That's God. Uh, Okay, okay. The idea behind his philosophy was the great I am. And the great I am is... Uh, the name of God. I am that I am. That's what the burning bush told Moses. Who shall I say send me? I am that I am. I am are the two most powerful words ever spoken because that's how God creates. He speaks and it becomes. And don't take the Lord thy God's name in vain. I don't think that means don't swear. I think that his name is I am. Look in your scriptures. It's They're always capitalized and they're in red. I am. I am what? Understand that the brain doesn't 
process negatives to everything that is creative in your brain. It's just create. It just creates. It doesn't decide what's good or bad. You might, but the brain doesn't. The mind doesn't. It just creates. So if you're saying, I am not a racist, um, we are not a racist country. I am not these things. It doesn't do anything but build the defense of, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. What are you? What are you? I am a good person. I am an open person. I am a person looking for unity. I am a person that really loves everybody until they give me a chance to hate them. I used to be a person that hated everybody unless you gave me a reason to love you. Now I, I, and you know this if you've listened to me for a long time, I'm a sucker for people because I see the best in them. I want to believe they're going to be that person. And they, you know, most times are not, unfortunately. None of us are. How many of us are the best person every time? We've been told over and over again what a bad country we are, what a what a horrible group of people. We're being told over and over that our cops are racist. Our cops are not racist. Our cops are heroes. Our cops are the ones after 9-11 that we went and we shook the hands of. Every time we saw a police officer, we said, thank you. Every time. Every time there is a problem in this nation, the police are the ones who we end up saying, gosh, you're a hero. Thank you. Thank you. And somehow or another, it feels as though the majority of people in this country are saying and questioning the cops are they bad. Are there bad cops? Yes, there are. Yes, there are. Is this guy in Atlanta a bad cop? I don't know. I know every time I see one of these shootings, and this is different than Minneapolis. Every time I see it, I think to myself, God, help me. I wouldn't want to make that decision. I don't know. Was that procedure? I don't know. I wasn't. A co- I'm not a cop. I wasn't trained. Do you want to make these decisions for the cops? Did you see, if you watch the footage of the body cam, and don't, you don't have an opinion on this unless you've watched the footage. You might think you do, but unless people say to you, oh, I've watched the whole thing. Did you? You watched all of it. This is like three and a half minutes. Edited down, it's like three and a half minutes. Did you watch all of the three and a half minutes? Okay, then let's talk about it. You don't have an opinion until you've watched the video. And then when you've watched the video, you're going to end up liking both sides. You're going to like, you're going to like, uh, uh, Rashad. And you're going to like the officer that, that first woke him up. You're going to like him. And then it turns. What I caught out of this video was, can you imagine being a cop? There was no indication. Zero indication that this guy was going to be a problem. Zero. He was totally cool. He was really a nice guy. And then all of a sudden, he just something flipped and he changed.
I don't know. Where do we go from here? I know. Let's burn down a Wendy's. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. Well, Seattle's Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, Chaz, which I think is Cher's son, daughter. I don't remember which, but uh, I think that's her. I think that's his name. Her name. I'm honestly not trying to be offensive. Born a boy, turned a girl. Born a girl, turned a boy. Which one was it? Born a girl, turned a boy. Stu, Cher. Uh, Why am I talking about Cher? I have no idea. Born a girl, I believe, changed to turned a boy. Because it's Chaz. Yeah. Well, I guess, yeah, again. Well, Chaz. I mean, now it's just the name of a new country. But uh, back in the day, yeah. I believe it was a boy's name. <laughs> All right. Well, they've begun reparations, Stu. You'll be happy to know. Uh, white members of uh, this this new republic, and it's beautiful. Uh, it's a summer of love. Have been told Friday night that they have to start giving black people at least ten dollars before leaving the area. <laughs> uh, so they're they're in the um, they're there in like this park setting. It's very very nice. And uh, I want you to find by the time you leave this area, I, I want you to give ten dollars to one African-American person from this autonomous zone. And if you think that's difficult, uh, well, if you think it's hard to give $10 to people of color, to black people, uh, you'll have to think really, really critically about it in the future. Are you going to actually give up your power and your land and capital when you have it? If you have a hard time giving up $10, then you'll have to think again. Are you really down with the movement? Then he goes on to say, white people, I see you. Find an African-American. I see you. I see every one of you, and I remember your faces. Wow, that sounds like a threat, doesn't it? Here he is actually giving the, um, actually giving the speech. I think this is the leader of, of Chaz. Listen. Okay. I want you to find by the end, by the time you leave, this autonomous zone, I want you to give $10 to one African-American person from this autonomous zone. And if you find that's difficult, if you find it's hard for you to give $10 to people of color, to black people especially, you have to think really critically about in the future, are you going to actually give up power and land and capital when you have it if you if you have a hard time giving up ten dollars you gotta think about are you really down with this struggle are you really down with the movement because if that is a challenge for you then i'm unsure if you're in the Three right people place. are clapping so find an african-american person the white people i see you i see every single one of you and i remember your faces you find that African-American person and you give them $10. Cash app, Venmo, $10 in your pocket. That's my challenge to you. Do- Unreal. You doing it, Stu? Because I, I did it. Friday, I did it. I think the solution to all racism line. is I'm just going to throw money at, at black people when they pass me. If I think that's See, just, good. Just, good just for throwing you. balled up a bills will really solve the <laughs> good racism for you. problem. That's good un- for you. Absolutely. Buy your way unreal. out of it. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, wait until you see why. I mean, this is, these people are Marxists. And you notice he said, are you, if you can't give $10 now, 
You're going to be able to give up your land and your capital? No, I I bought that land. I oh, I how I earned dare that. you I, listen to this guy, Mister? I, I own I property. Uh, this land is my land. This land is your land, Glenn. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the autonomous zone. There is no more property uh, ownership. There's no private property whatsoever. You need to understand the new world we're in. Yeah. By the way, this land is your land. This land is my land. This land was made for you and me. Uh, that is a Marxist song. I just want to let you know, written and performed by a Marxist. <laughs> um, so we also had a really interesting um, encounter with a street preacher. Um, he came in and he said that this was a uh, this was a uh, a Christ zone as well. And that didn't go over well. Um, Elijah Schaefer and his cameraman were there uh, on the streets. And here's what happened. Listen. Get right with God. This is a very forceful hug. Lord Jesus, give me strength for the back. What does it feel like to get hugged by a homosexual? Glory to the king. I'll kiss you on the face, buddy. The glory to the king eternal. So they forcibly held him down and then they kissed him. Uh, Then they threw him down to the ground. um, And uh, somebody was kneeling on his back and his neck. And he said, uh, I can't breathe. I can't breathe because it started to get really ugly. Uh, finally, somebody in some dreadlocks ran over and like, what are you guys doing? Stop it. Um, but uh, that's good. You know, all of that. That's been I think that's really been good. Um, and the Seattle residents love it. Uh, let me give you a, a view from a Seattle resident living in Capitol Hill where they are inside of Chaz. Imagine this. Listen to what this and listen to how emotional this Seattle resident gets about what's happening in Chaz. Listen. I'm scared. Like, I've been scared every day since Sunday. And uh, I haven't gotten a lot of sleep because uh, for the first time in my life in Capitol Hill, I hear gunshots every single night. And I've heard people screaming every single night outside. And... uh they're not protest screams. I've heard protest screams, but I've also heard like screams of terror out there. And I don't know what's happening out there. And it's just, that's rattling enough. Just hearing the screams for the first time and not knowing what's going on. Now he goes on to say, um, that he called the state. He, he talked about different things that he had seen, um, going on. Uh, just from the windows, uh, from his house, he said, I am terrified to go outside. This uh, bl- appears to be a younger guy. We blurred his face. Um, so you can't tell. I think the Daily Caller did this interview. Um, and, uh, uh, but he appears to be a rather young guy. Um, and, um, and is, is afraid and says his government, he called the governor's office and said, you got to stop this. 
And the person said, you know, the governor's already spoken out on this. And they said, look, can I just can I just talk to you as a human, please? Human to human. Let me just say. Uh, I'm afraid here. And he broke down and cro- started to cry. And he said, I don't. The person at the ca- at, at the Capitol, Washington Capitol, said, look, I don't want to make this personal. And he said, but this is personal. My government has abandoned me and I am afraid for my life. And you're not coming to help. When we, you know, when there are no police and when the government is corrupt and in bed with those who are looting and stealing, who do you go to? No one. You either die fighting or you are you're bending your knee. So which one's it going to be, America? There is a development with the Supreme Court. We want to just uh, take a quick sidebar and and, uh, get this development. Stu? Yeah, Glenn, a decision just came down uh, from the Supreme Court uh, about a case for, involving Title VII. Um, the, oh, boy. Uh, the uh, argument was about gay and transgender rights. The ruling comes down, uh, an employer who fires an individual merely for being gay or transgender violates Title VII. Uh, as we know, we have a extreme right-wing court who has now come out uh, and, and, come and decided this uh, in this fashion, uh, a six to three ruling uh, the liberals, uh, of course, mm. on one on the, on the six side, Roberts as well, and uh, written by Gorsuch. Uh, so that is the uh, that is the uh, ruling. It was a six three. There was several different uh, dissenting opinions followed by followed by the other um, uh, justices. But uh, this is a six three ruling that says if you fire someone, it says solely, uh, which you know. I mean, I I don't think this is happening an awful lot, uh, but it has been a a very um, controversial thing. And gay or transgender, it's interesting to see how that would play out in a situation where, you know, um, uh, someone changing from male to female in a role that was designed for a male in the middle of that, would you be able to change them to another job? They would not be able to be fired based on this ruling, however. Uh, So I'm not exactly sure how that goes, um, but it's going to be be interesting for you to watch. I got news for you. If if Bert is my receptionist, mm-hmm. because I'm not a sexist, but then you have to ask yourself, yeah, but you hired a man. I mean, was a woman not good enough for that job? Right. Oh, I know, I know. It's it's a struggle. But Bert is at the front desk, and he's like, "Hey, welcome to uh, welcome to Beck's Burgers," and you're you know you're fine with Bert sounding like that. Um, and he comes in, and he's dependable and everything else. But the next day. He comes in in a dress. I'm Bertina, and you'll uh, be addressing me as Bertina. And speaking of dress, what do you think? Does this color match my eyeshadow? And you would have to have a conversation with Bert or Bertina and say, um, Bertina, some fundamental things have changed, um, and you now are not the first face I want my customers to see that's hatred. what you're saying i'm not lovely in a dress no you're, you're not lovely in a dress um and you're kind of you're you're spooking uh the customers uh and and that's great you can go do that someplace else where customers might expect you to be uh or wouldn't be you know shocked but at our 
Christian bookstore here. Uh, people, you're freaking people out. I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a reason, uh, to not side with the, um, with the business, unless you're going to control every aspect of that business. Well, I mean, this is my reputation. You're arguing for hatred is what you're doing. And that would be no, I'm not. They would say that, you know what you, well, what you're saying is, oh, well, the, the transgender person at the front desk, that's not normal. So therefore, you want to change it? Well, it is. Normal, uh, let's Glenn. let's can, can we just can we just say what is normal? Let, let's define normal uh, because I hate that word normal. What is normal? Normal is something that you would see Commonly, all the time. It'd right. be mm-hmm. natural. It'd be commonplace. Okay, it's commonplace. It is not commonplace to see a guy in a dress. It's just not commonplace. Now there are places where it is more common. You know, the inner city is more is more common to see a lot of things. You know, it's not commonplace in the urban city to see a cow. Does that make cows bad? No, it just means it's out of place. It's not normal for a cow to be wandering the streets of New York City. How does this work the other day? Other way, Glenn, like if you um, in New York City, there's a few famous places that are staffed completely by transgendered people who or 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 mm-hmm. cross dressers and such. And that's part of that's the shtick of the restaurant. Basically, you go in there and everyone, yeah. everyone's lucky Changs. OK, sure. Um, mm-hmm. If one of their workers uh, decided they you know what, this whole drag queen thing not working out for me anymore. I'm going to go the other way. Just go back to wearing a suit. Would they be able to be fired? So I think in that case, yes, um, because you were specifically hired because you were um, either a transgender or transvestite. But you can't specifically hire someone for not being a transgendered or transvestite. That's against the law. So now... Well, if 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 your store was, you know, we're not transgender... You know the the, the you restaurant can't have is that the store. shtick is <laughs> I know, but the sti- the the shtick. I'm I'm actually standing up for the transgender person here. I think I think you I don't are. even know anymore. I think you are, but, but I think um, you're missing that they they can't. You can't have that restaurant. It would be illegal. You can't have the we're not transgender restaurant. That is exactly no, what this but says. You, you can, can have. have it, but I know, but I'm saying you can have a I am trans. We are transvestite. You could or transsexual. Can you still? You could. Well, why? Why? <laughs> See, this is the problem with government getting involved. <laughs> if you want to have a all transvestite or no transvestite, uh, that's fine. If you, if you, if you, if you don't understand that the change you're making is a big deal, and your employer might say, I- "I'm sorry, Susan, and I love you as Susan, and I loved you as Fred," but I can't you I I don't want you representing my company. Why? Because you hate No, I don't. I don't. But I need every advantage that I can get and having somebody greeting our customers is is not necessarily the best smoothest transition for the mass population. All right, back in just a second. Boy, is that full of hate speech, isn't it? <laughs> I should be executed. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. 
So Dinesh D'Souza is one of my favorite one of my favorite people on earth because he he truly gets it. First of all, he truly gets America because he grew up in India and he saw America from abroad and even with all of our flaws, he stills even be, even the fact that a former president had him jailed. He still loves America uh, and he knows the system is good. It's just full of a lot of bad people right now. Uh, and he's got a new book out called The United States of Socialism. Uh, and a new movie coming out called Trump Card. We're going to try to get to both of those uh, this hour. But United States of Socialism is a great companion for arguing with socialists. And in it, he really makes the case um, all the way through, not just of, of the flaws of socialism, but how great America is. And I want to start with uh, Dinesh on... Um, the and the the grocery store that you walked into when you first came to America. Detail that experience, would you? I uh, arrived, Glenn, in Arizona as a exchange student at the age of seventeen. I lived with the host family, and they were very eager to show me America. And so they said, "We're we're planning a trip to the Grand Canyon. We're going to take you to Tombstone, Arizona, the, the the site of the gunfight at the OK Corral." They had all these sort of sites planned for me. And I said, guys, I'd love to do all that, but, you know, my idea of sightseeing is take me to a grocery store. I mean, I want to see the abundance of American life, you know, 50 types of cheese and 25 types of ice cream. I mean, I, I know the abundance of America and its availability to the ordinary man. In India, as in many other countries, the rich guy has an opulent, enviable life. But I think a country is judged by the kind of life it makes available to the common man, the ordinary fellow. And I was always struck at how good the ordinary guy had it in America, not just in terms of, of prosperity, but also in terms of freedom. So, Dinesh, first of all, did you actually say that at 17 years old? Well, I did because it was, that was the most striking thing to me. I wasn't thinking politically. I was just impressed at how smooth the roads were and how everything worked and how you didn't have to pay people under the table for everything. Remember, I grew up in socialist mm. India, and the two things I remember the most about socialism are, one, our family had a ration card, and that meant that every month we could only buy so much rice so much sugar, so much cooking oil. So I was used to India as a land of scarcity. When I saw images of India as the begging bowl of the world, I understood it. That was the life around me. The other thing was we, my family was on a seven-year wait to get a phone. It seems hard to believe, and I don't usually mention this because Americans look at me like I'm insane, but that's life under socialism. Some of the scarcities we glimpsed very briefly under coronavirus are a kind of nasty preview of what things would be permanently like if India was, if America fell under the spell, if we became the United States of Socialism. So, um, uh, Dinesh, India, it's strange because India now has um, shaken off many of the chains of, of socialism and have become uh, much more a capitalist uh, society. Um, it still struggles, but it is getting better. And we are now starting to go where the rest of the world has discovered 
is nothing but abject poverty and failure. How do you explain this? This is really the puzzle. Uh, I mean, my wife is from Venezuela, and our two countries, India and Venezuela, have moved in opposite directions. Venezuela, a once thriving country, now reduced to complete ruin by adopting socialism. India, the begging bowl of the world, is now more prosperous because it abandoned socialism and embraced technological capitalism. So you would think that looking around the world, it's very clear which system works. Uh, and yet, the revival, that's why I think the revival of socialism in America, one country where socialism has never been in the mainstream, is not only a mystery, but is something that demands explanation and, and deep understanding. And you, you, I, you, you call it um, identity socialism, which I think is really, really good. Um, and, and in fact, I, wanna, I wrote a phrase down that you, you said... Um, bah, 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 bah. you said this isn't comprehensive Stalinism um, in which there's an official position in classical music and chess, but rather limited Stalinism. The left's goal is to stigmatize resistance as discrimination and ruthless, ruthlessly punish dissenters. So everyone uh, is uh, suitably warned. He, um, he, and you talk about how um, this is really an attack on the heart which when you understand identity socialism that is the way to get to america is to go in through their heart and then destroy it right is yeah, that what you're socialism saying is is a mechanism many people think socialism is merely a system of economic confiscation but it's always been far more than that uh, george orwell understood this he he was himself a man of the left but he saw that in the end, what Big Brother, the state, is about is reducing citizens to abject conformity, to crushing their independence of spirit and of mind. And I think that's ultimately the worst aspect of it. It, it, it crushes our individuality. It crushes even our inner freedom. And we're beginning to see this, these kind of liturgies of genuflection and subordination. They're ultimately ways of us being, of us submitting, if you will, our own souls to socialist ideology so um the the um the parade is very apparent uh i mean when you started writing this and i, I know it was the same for me when i was writing arguing with socialists uh, you knew it was coming uh and you saw it in, you know um hidden and then they became more and more bold as they started just to admit yep but democratic socialists etc but the speed to which we are now seeing americans embrace socialists in blm and excuse what's happening in seattle is a little astounding was it a shock to you dinesh it was a shock to me in this sense. Uh, I have seen this kind of ideology in academia for a long time, as I think you have. I think what yeah. has surprised us is that what we previously thought was occurring in the nuthouse or asylum of academia has now metastasized into the larger culture. You could almost say that academia is the theory and Antifa is the practice. So academia has been drilling into young people's heads without challenge, without critical scrutiny, the idea that what happened to George Floyd is not anomalous. It's normal. This is how cops are. Uh, this is how America is. Our institutions are racist, and they have been chronically so since the beginning of the country itself. 
So naturally, if that's what you think, if that's your premise, if that's your starting point, it seems normal to fling a Molotov cocktail into a police a precinct. Why? Because you're doing what you can to fight the system by any means necessary. So in some ways, this kind of destructive mayhem we're seeing on the street is the logical outcome of progressive ideology. You, um, you talk about uh, Antifa and what Antifa is. Uh, let me quote, the typical socialist today is not a union guy who wants higher wages. It's a transsexual uh, eco-feminist who marches in Antifa and Black Lives Matter rallies and throws cement blocks at her political opponents. Um, so the, the logic behind socialism and a revolution was to get the workers of the world to unite the people, the average person. But that is not the case here. And the more you see it, the more brutal and ugly it becomes, the more exposed they are. And you realize this is not the the average person. Why did they make that change? And how do they expect to win? This is the key. Uh, About a century ago, an economist named Werner Sombart wrote a book called Why Is There No Socialism in the United States? And his very poignant answer was, quote, all socialist utopias came to grief on roast beef and apple pie. And what he meant is that America has managed to deliver so much for the working man that the working man has no intention of overthrowing the system. He wants to join the system. He wants to enjoy its rewards. Now, the left has figured this out. They can't get socialism that way. So what they have to do is tap into other forms of resentment that exist or can be fomented in the society. Obviously, the most profitable is racial resentment. So take George Floyd again. This was a moment of of potential national unity. Everyone that you know and I know condemned this from the outset. You could think we could all say, this is great. Let's come together and figure this one out. But no, for the left, it was a political opportunity to do what? To create division. Now, not class division, but racial division. And then if you add gender division, male against female, straight against gay, legal against illegal, you see the scheme. The scheme is to divide America every which way to create a 51% majority of oppressed victims. That's the strategy of so-called identity socialism, which is a marriage of classic socialism and identity politics. All right, so I want to talk to you about the end game on that um, when we come back. The name of the book is The United States of Socialism uh, by Dinesh D'Souza, a guy who can articulate so well what's great about America. Um, and I think he can do it because he watched us f- uh, with with wanton eyes, if you will, from the outside in his childhood. And he saw and he believes the American dream and it still exists. That belief is 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 um, going away quickly, unfortunately, because not enough of us are preaching it anymore. Not enough of us are seeing how great it really is here in the United States. The United States of Socialism by Dinesh D'Souza. It's available wherever you grab books. Uh, available now at Amazon. Grab your copy today. It is a great book. <laughs> 